All right, well, we're starting a new series called Like a Good Neighbor. Yeah, right, right. I'll let that out. Uh, you can, every time I say it, that's what I think too. So Like a Good Neighbor, State Farm is there, yes. Uh, but we want to figure out what it would really look like to be a good neighbor. Like, like not just talk about being a good neighbor, but what would it look like to really be a good neighbor? And I think there's huge potential for this series. First of all, I think there's huge potential for your heart to change. Before we really ever do anything else, before we try to be a good neighbor, I think there's some things we need to work on first and uh, dealing with our own hearts. And I think when that happens, uh, we're going to be able to be a good neighbor. I think it's going to change the neighborhood, those houses right around you, if, if all of us will really begin to be good neighbors. Uh, in the end, I'm going to ask you to do something. And it's going to be a difficult ask. But, but I really am hoping that you'll participate in what I'm going to ask you uh, to do. Uh, but one of the things, we're, we're going to look at five houses around us. But I'm just thinking 75 households here, yeah. roughly. And if each of us were, were good neighbors to five neighbors, that's almost 400 houses that we're being good neighbors to. Yeah. That's massive potential. That's massive opportunity that we have to make a difference in our community. A, a massive opportunity that you have to create this neighboring movement yes. that, that we at Trinity will be good neighbors. Now look, I want Trinity to grow. I want more and more people to be here every weekend. I want to have to find places for people to sit because I want people to know the love of God. Amen. Nothing about us, nothing so we can boast. I want people to know you're here. You're, you're experiencing community, hopefully, and you're experiencing what it means to be loved by God. And we should want more and more people to do that. But before we can ever do that, before we can ever expect someone to come into this place, I think it's really important that we're good neighbors first. Yeah. That we're good neighbors before we really even care what happens here. And the best way for us to do that is to take responsibility for ourselves. Not to worry about what anyone else is doing. But this is hard. Being a good neighbor is hard. Uh, been here about 10 years and we've done mission trips and it's fun to take our students away. And for a week, it's easy to love those kids and it's easy to love the people that we encounter on a mission trip. And then we come home, we, we leave those people. Uh, it, it is even easy to kind of do our thing at Coldwater or wherever you volunteer. I know a lot of you volunteer at different places, and that's even easy. Say once a week or once a month, I'm going to go and I'm going to serve here and I'm going to love those people, and, and that's great. And we want to be good neighbors to Coldwater. We, we want to. Let, just real quickly, this is, what we, this is just a glimpse of what we're giving to them over there. Uh, 280 binders, 300 boxes of crayons, uh, 550 erasers, 250 composition books, uh, 275 dry erase markers, 600 glue sticks. That's a lot of glue sticks. Uh, 300 boxes of Kleenex. They'll need 300 more in like a month, so uh, be ready for those. Uh, 150 folders, and then over 3,500 pencils that we shot for and we dropped off, and we want to be good neighbors to, to cold water. But we can leave that. We, we can walk away from cold water, and we can go back to our own thing, but, but you're kind of stuck. You have neighbors. You, you're, you're a neighbor. Whether you like it or not, you are 24-7 a neighbor to someone around you. And that looks really different. Some of you students are going to go off to college. That's going to look like a dorm neighbor. Uh, some of you live in an apartment or a cul-de-sac. It looks different for all of us, but you are a neighbor. And there's no escaping it. And so it, it's hard. It's full-time. And so I, I want you to understand that I understand that it's, that it's hard. And you don't get to choose your neighbors we wish we could at times, but we don't, we don't choose who moves 
in by us. And, and honestly, when you moved into that house, you didn't necessarily choose your neighbors. You may have investigated and wanted to know, but you didn't really know. I remember when we bought our house, it was a complete remodel house, and the day we closed on it, we went in and we started demolishing it. And so we, we're tearing everything out, and it gets dark, and we're excited, so we're, we're still tearing everything out, and it's loud, but we're not, we're not even caring about anybody else. And, and all of a sudden, there's a knock on our garage door. So I'm like, oh, that, someone's coming to say hi, so let's, uh, let's see who it is. And so I open the door, and it's my neighbor just next to us, and this is what she says. She says, you're being really loud. I was like, I apologize. We're glad to be in the neighborhood. Nice to meet you. And uh, I say, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll quit. So we quit. And immediately I'm like, oh, man, she's already upset that we've moved into the neighborhood. And she has this bad feeling. And, and so the next night we're over doing the same thing. And then she brings us white castles. So I don't know if she was punishing me or uh, she was like <laughs> being nice. Um, but but we, we have a good relationship now. But it didn't start off very good. Because being a neighbor is tough, and you have those neighbors that you don't care for, the, the neighbors that are loud, that play their music loud and don't care about anyone around them. You, you have the neighbors, the, the soccer mom, the soccer mom who is, uh, seems like they're always on the go. You'd love to get to know them, but, but they're just never there. You have the family who it seems like they're always fighting, all windows are shut, and you hear screaming coming out of their house all the time. You, you have those neighbors, and it makes it really difficult to be a good neighbor because you have those people who live there. And so just a really quick survey. Who's lived in their house less than a year? Where you live right now, less than a year. Okay, one to five years. One to five? All right, five to ten? Ten to fifteen? Fifteen to twenty? Wow. Twenty to twenty-five? All right, let's just keep going. Twenty-five to thirty, anybody? 30 to 35? All right, we have two, yes. Oh, 35 to 40. Wow. 40 to 45? Yes. Over 50 years? No. Over 50. Wow, that's unbelievable. And here's what I know, and, and whether you've been there one year or you've been there 50, you've encountered a lot of different things. And you have some of those neighbors, you've been there a year, and you're so thankful that you have them. If you've been there 50, you've probably had people come and go, and some you were thankful that they come, and some you were thankful that they left, right? <laughs> but but here's, here's what we know. We're, we're all neighbors. Yeah. We're all neighbors. And whether you're here today and you say, yes, I follow Jesus, or you don't, you're a neighbor. Yeah. And so for some of you who say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, this is a mandate for you to be a good neighbor. Yeah. This isn't an option. This isn't an option. But if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm just kind of investigating, you could still be a good neighbor. Yeah. And I think there's going to be principles and things that we learn to help all of us be a good neighbor. So this is going to be kind of a summary. This is going to kind of launch us into our series. Uh, the next few weeks, this is what we're going to look at, choosing what's best. So if we're going to be a good neighbor, we're going to have to make some hard choices uh, breaking through the barriers, immediately when you think of being a good neighbor, there's already all kinds of things that kind of stir in you. These barriers that keep you from being a good neighbor. So how do we break through those barriers? We're going to look at the idea that small things matter. And then finally, what's the end goal? So what's the agenda to all of this, Kyle, you might be thinking? Why, why should I be a good neighbor? And so we'll end by looking at that. Uh, well, we're going to look at a story we talk about all the time. It's found in Matthew 22:35 35 through 40. 
Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a maroon one, a red one around you. We'd love for you to have that. That's our gift to you. Uh, Matthew 22, there'll be a page number that comes up as well, page 980 in that Bible. So this can be a familiar passage for a lot of you. Several weeks ago, we, we preached on, I preached on something along these lines. We looked at the Good Samaritan. You, you might want to go back and refresh your memory or check that out. It's in a parable series on the Good Samaritan. Uh, you can look at that. But, but we're going to stay really simple today. And when I stay, say simple, that doesn't mean easy to do. But, but the teaching today, I'm going to work really hard to make it very, very simple. So here's an account of what happened uh, in the life of Jesus. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, just uh, a little, little teaching. Let's pull a couple things out. The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, these are two religious parties. Uh, the Sadducees were a very conservative, wealthy group of religious people. Uh, they were kind of following the Roman rule. They weren't necessarily going against it. But, but you have the Sadducees. They only believe the beginning of the Bible, so the first five books. And then you have the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees are the ones we often hear Jesus calling out. The Pharisees were really good at following the law. They knew all about the law. They knew how they were supposed to live and what they were supposed to do. They were more of the middle class or lower class group of people. Now, the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't really like each other, but when it came to Jesus, they were all about working together to, to, to get in the way of what Jesus was trying to do. And so we, we see here that the Sadducees had already been trying, and it says that Jesus had silenced them. And so the Pharisees think, all right, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And an expert of the law comes and approaches Jesus. Now, like I said, the Pharisees, they all really knew the law, but this was an expert in the law. Uh, this isn't just someone who knew the law, but it was someone who could teach the law. So for some of you, you're experts of something. You have a field of study, and so it's not that you just know it, but you really, really know it. And so you have an expert of the law who comes to Jesus and says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a shot at this, and I'm going to see if I can test Jesus. And this is not a, a, a nice test. He, he's trying to trap Jesus. He doesn't like him. And actually, if you don't know the whole story, uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, these guys would help play a role in eventually bringing Jesus to the cross and ultimately to his death. And so you have this Pharisee, this expert of the law, who comes to Jesus and says, all right, t tell me this. Uh, what's the most important law? What's the most important, that I, most important law that I should be following? Now, if you don't know this, there's 16, 613 laws uh, that he would have been talking about. Like, we know the Ten Commandments, but there's a whole other list of laws. And so the expert of the law says, all right, you, you have this list. Tell me which one's the most important. Which one carries the most weight? And so Jesus responds, well, the most important thing is that you love God with everything, with your heart, with your soul, and with your mind. Now, this is what, you, what it means. If you take notes, maybe you want to jot this down, but what does it mean to love God with all your heart? This means that we find in God a satisfaction that is so great that it fills our entire heart. That, that when our heart wants to turn another direction, that it comes back because it's so full. Because our love for God in our heart is so strong that, that as other things try to invade our heart, they can't get in. 
And so we're not looking to anything else to satisfy us. We're not looking to another person or to a new job or uh, another raise or, or, or anything like that. We're not looking for our kids to completely satisfy us. Our hearts are completely given to God, and we find full and complete satisfaction in him. So we realize that God is greater than anything else that we could ever desire. So when, when Jesus says, look, love God with all your heart, it means that you don't give your heart away to anything else, that your heart is completely given to God. And then all your soul. This means that we find in God a meaning that is so deep and so rich that it fills up all the hurting corners of your soul. So all the things that ever have been done to you, all the things you've ever done, all those aches and pains, that the love of God invades those spaces and fills those areas. That your soul is okay because of the love of God and you love God with your entire soul. So the shame that you've experienced, the regret that you have, has no place in your soul because of your love for God. And we find rest in that. When your soul is at rest, when you are at peace with God, you find a true rest. And then with all your mind. Uh, This means dedicating your mind to knowing who God is. And that we think truly and clearly about who he is. And then we have this mental effort to pursue God and to serve God. So we just don't know about God. We know God. And so one of the ways we do that is we take personal responsibility for, for figuring out who God is. That you just don't wait every Sunday for someone to stand in front of you and to tell you about God. That you have access to this. You have access to the Word of God, and you can read it for yourself, and you can study it, and you can learn it. And so you're not always expecting someone else to do it for you. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here, and I hope you're encouraged, and you learn new things, and you're challenged. But, but ultimately, you can study the Word of God. You can know God for yourself. And there's a great app if you have a smartphone. It's called Version. I would encourage you to download that, to use that. But, but we have more access to the Bible than we ever have before. And so to to love God with all of our mind is to pursue God and to know God and who he is. And so I I really think Jesus meant this. I think this was a serious command of Jesus. That the most important thing, the thing that will carry the most weight is that you will love God completely. And so there's a lot of people who are like, I just want to follow the rules. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do, tell me what I'm not supposed to do, and everything will be okay. It's much harder to submit and to surrender everything. To take a discipline and say, all right, I'm I'm going to discipline my life and that nothing will get in the way of following and loving God. Like, I'm not the most disciplined person. My wife is much more disciplined than I am. I'll try and eat good, but someone can give me a donut and it is over. I'm I'm ruined. Uh, Running, I'm like, I don't feel like it. My wife, when she trained, it was like, no, I have to run today because my schedule says I have to run today. Some people are like that and some people are really good at following rules. But when that begins to happen spiritually, then you've kind of missed the first command. The, the, the first command is to, to love God with your heart and with your soul and with your mind. Now, I, I have this uh, idea that, that Jesus answers this, and the expert of the law is like, okay, that kind of is a simple answer, and he begins to leave. And then Jesus is like, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not done. I'm not done, because he asks what the most important thing is, but Jesus gives two, right? He doesn't leave it with just loving God, but... He actually keeps going, and he said this, and the second is like it. It corresponds to it. It's connected to it, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments that that Jewish people, as he's teaching, 
everything you've ever heard, every law you've begun to follow and you're trying really hard to follow, it all hangs on these two things, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. I, I think that the Pharisees, the Sadducees would have heard that and thought, okay, we, we pray that. It's called the Shema. We, we understand that that's a part of what we, we believe, that, that that's just, you know, that's nothing new, Jesus. But, but then the second part is much more radical, much more radical, because the Jews would have considered their neighbor those who believed like them, those who were Hebrews, those who were like them. But, but Jesus doesn't define it that way. When, when he says neighbor, he's saying anybody, it doesn't matter what nation or religion, it's anyone you come in contact with. Love those people as you love yourself. And that is a radical teaching in that day, and that's still, I believe, a radical teaching for us. So again, I think this is a serious command. I really think Jesus meant this. That I don't think it was an option. I don't think it was. If you get around to it, if you have time, if, if you think it's a good idea, if you don't have those kind of neighbors, if they're easy to love, if they're like you, then love them. No, no, no. I think Jesus meant it. I think Jesus really meant that you should love your literal neighbors. That you should love your literal neighbors as you love yourself. And Jesus is making a huge assumption here. And he's assuming that you love yourself. Now, this isn't the love yourself. Do you guys remember Stuart Smalley from uh, Saturday Night Live? No? Wow. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Okay, I thought more people would know that. I guess not. All right, look it up. It's, it's good. But, but him, it was this self-esteem. I, I love myself. Now, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here, though. The, the love I think Jesus is talking about is this thing that all of us have for self-preservation. Be, because you love yourself, you're going to take care of yourself. You're, you're going to do all you can to feed yourself. You're going to do all you can to clothe yourself. You're going to do everything you can for your happiness. So, so what if we did that with our neighbor? Because I think Jesus is saying, if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you'll care as much about those things for your neighbor as you do for yourself. That when your neighbor's in need, it will matter. That if your neighbor doesn't have something, it matters. That you'll love your neighbor. Now, when we truly love our neighbors, uh, the law will be easy to follow. So the things that we think we're supposed to be doing, and the law, if you look at the Ten Commandments, those those big ones, most of you have probably heard of them. Um, You know, you don't murder, you don't steal, you don't covet what you don't have, you don't have... Uh, an adulterous affair, you don't sleep with someone who's not your, your husband or your wife. Like, it's really hard to do those things if you really love your neighbor. It's really hard to treat someone that way if you really love them as you love yourself. Uh, Paul, who writes to a church in Rome, uh, Paul was a, a follower of Jesus. He wasn't at first. He persecuted Christians. His life changes. Uh, he writes this to a group of, of Christians in Rome. He says this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. So don't, try not to go into debt. Don't, don't owe anyone anything but love. That, that you should owe people love. That you should truly love one another. And when you do, you fulfill the law. The commandments 
do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be. I feel like Paul kind of got lazy there. He just got tired of listing all the laws. So he's like, it's all of them. Anything that you could ever think of, whatever other commandments there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So if you question, man, what should I do? What should I not do? Is it loving to your neighbor? Because if it's not, then, then you probably know what decision you need to make. Look, it's much easier for us just to say, yeah, I love my neighbor. It's on our wall. It's one of our, it's our mission statement to love God and to love people and to serve our community. We can say that, and it sounds like a catchy phrase. And oftentimes, Christians, we love those catchy phrases, and we can put on a t-shirt or on a coffee mug or, or whatever. But, but look, it's much harder to live out. And so I don't think Jesus was concerned with us just knowing it. I truly believe that this was a serious command that he really expected those who say they're followers of Jesus to love their neighbors as themselves. And I think one of the mistakes we've made is we've generalized who our neighbors are. Right? right? I do believe that everyone is our neighbor. So anyone you come in contact with, everyone is your neighbor. But I also think we've kind of used that as an excuse. Yeah, I, I love my neighbor. I'm really nice to the barista at the Starbucks I go to. I'm nice to the people I work with. The, the girl who checks me out at the grocery store, I'm really kind to her. I love my neighbors. And so we kind of just make this general statement of who our neighbors are, and it's kind of this, we're really not aiming at anything. Right? There's the same thing, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit nothing. But, but what, if we, what if we really took this literally and we said, okay, our neighbors are actually those people who live around us. They are. They're, they're the people whose, whose houses butt up to us. We, we share a fence together. We, we see each other as we pull into the driveway and maybe we wave. And those people, those neighbors, like, like what if we really begin to love them? And it's, again, more than just saying it, but, but doing it. Uh, John, who was a disciple of Jesus, uh, he writes this in 1 John 3, 16, 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That is the definition of, of love. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him or no compassion for him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Like if we really want to change our community, if we really want to change North County, if we really want to change the, 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 the lives of the people around us, then we have to just quit saying things. We, we have to just quit posting things. Because our words, honestly, they carry absolutely no weight. Sh show me you love me by the way you live. Like, how does this work in your relationships? If you're married, how does this work? No, no, I told you I love you. I know I'm not nice to you. I know I don't take care of you, but, but I, I told you I love you. It doesn't work. So for us who say we follow Jesus, if we're going to say we love our neighbor, we, we better love our neighbor. If we understand that Jesus says, look, here's the most important thing in the world. This is it. Like, this expert in the law would have had a doctorate in the law. And I think he's looking this, for this complex answer to this really difficult question. And Jesus gives him a kindergarten answer. 
He does. He gives them a kindergarten answer, and he says, love God and love people. This is what Jesus is basing everything on. And so I believe this is a serious command for us. Now, three things I want to help you with here. Three things that uh, we're going to have to understand. If we're going to look at the next four weeks, we have to understand these first uh, three things. Uh, The first thing, if we're going to love our neighbor, is we have to understand that love values the other person. If you're going to be a good neighbor, if you're going to love those people around you, you have to understand that love values the other person. Genesis 1.27, so all the way in the beginning, the story of how everything is created. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. From the very beginning, the first people, they were created in the image of God. You and I have been created in the image of God. All of us. And if you look around, we're all very, very different. So it doesn't mean there's one group of people or one type of person that's created in the image of God. It doesn't mean just those people who are doing what they're supposed to be doing are created in the image of God. It doesn't mean just your good neighbors are created in the image of God. It means everyone has this imprint of the image of God on their lives. And so if you and I can begin to look at people and say, well, they're created in the image of God. I don't like what they're doing. I, make, I think they're making really poor decisions. I don't agree with them. But they're created in the image of God. They're created in the image of God. So this means your neighbors. No matter their race or their social class, it doesn't mean if they have good kids, the disciplined kids. It doesn't mean uh, the ones who don't have the, the pregnant teenage daughter or those who have experienced an abortion or those who are gay or the greedy neighbor who won't help anybody. All of those people are created in the image of God. And you are too. Like we could, we could just keep going with this list and figure out where you fit in the list. You were created in the image of God. And so if we're going to really love our neighbors, we have to understand that love values other people. And we have to begin valuing those people who live beside us. Uh, love is costly. Love is costly. So love values the other person and love is costly. Now, this is where I think many of us get hung up on the idea of loving our neighbor. Man, if I'm going to really love them, it's going to cost me something. And you're right. It may cost you financially. It may cost you energy. It might cost you time. It might cost you a part of your heart. It's going to cost you emotionally. Um, we're blessed with our neighbors. They've all lived there for 20 plus years and, and I've slowly begun building relationships with them. And uh, we have one neighbor at a diagonal. And so, yes, we're going to consider those neighbors too, those at a diagonal, not just those next to us, um, but even the diagonal people. And so my, my neighbor, John, who I've built a relationship with and I, I talk to him often, uh, I found out a couple of months ago that he has this massive brain tumor. And uh, his wife has battled uh, breast cancer for, for years, over and over. She's had cancer throughout her, her life. And so uh, John one day shares with me that he has brain cancer. He has this massive tumor, and they don't think they're going to be able to do anything for it. So my heart's broken for John, and the reason my heart's broken for John is I love John. I care for John. And so John comes back a couple weeks later and says, okay, they, they can't do much, but they're going to try this experimental thing, and they're hopefully going to be able to shrink the size of it. They'll never be able to operate, but maybe they're going to shrink it. And so 
I saw John just slowly deteriorate day after day as he goes through chemo two times, Mondays, Tuesdays, for just all day. And he'd come home, and he'd come home sick, and he'd begin using a cane, and can't take care of his wife, and he can't do much, and, and I just feel this. And, but he comes to me and says, look, it's working, and the, and the tumor is becoming smaller, and I think I'm going to be okay, and, and so we're, we're really excited about that. And the moment they start, they stop doing the, the, the chemo, it immediately comes back. So John comes over one day, and he stands on my porch, and I asked John, how you doing? John, this 65-year-old man, begins to weep on my, on my porch. And so I pray with John, and I embrace John, and the only reason, now look, I'm, I got another neighbor I don't know very well, so I'm, I'm, I'm working on this too, but man, John, the reason it, it's, it's doing something is because I know John, and I love John, and I care for John, and it's costing me something. It's costing my energy and my time, and it's, man, it's costing my heart costing my heart. It's going to cost you something. Love cost. God so loved the world that he gave his son. It cost God everything, his love for you and for me. It's going to cost you. But, but it's going to cost you if you don't. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote a book, uh, it's called The Four Loves. He says this about the cost of love and being vulnerable. It says, to love is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin in your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. Instead, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. So it's going to cost you something. Love costs us. But if we don't, if we're not willing to love our neighbor, it is going to cost as well. The last thing, love is intentional. If you're going to be a good neighbor, you're going to have to be intentional about this. And, and many of you are really good neighbors, and I know it. And I bet if you stood here and you told your stories, it was because you were intentional about it. You were intentional. And so if we're going to love our neighbors, we have to actually know our neighbors Right? Mind blown, right? That, that's such a deep teaching, right? If you're going to actually be a good neighbor and love your neighbor, you have to actually know who your neighbors are. You, you have to know them. And so when you came in today, hopefully there was a sheet in your, uh, in your bulletin. If not, there's a picture. You can scribble it on a piece of paper. There's going to be more in the back. Uh, but I saw this online the other day, and I thought, man, this is a great thing, and we're going to do this. And uh, so you can do this later. Uh, but, but here, I want to give you some instructions. We can throw that picture up if possible here, uh, Mark. So some of you hopefully have this. Now my goal for you is that you'll begin to know the neighbors around you. So let's just say five neighbors. Let's say the two beside you and the three across uh, from you. Maybe if you already know them, you want to branch out and, and build more relationships with other neighbors. Uh, but in letter A, uh, that's the easiest. That's just the names of the people who live there. Hard, right? And, and here's what's really hard about that is as we were raising our hands, the longer you kept your hand up, if you don't know the names of your neighbors, the harder it's going to be to go ask them their names. Yeah. Right? If you've lived there for 10 years and you don't know the person's name who lives next to you, it's going to be hard to walk across the, the, the yard, to walk across the driveway, and to say, look, I know I've been here for 10 years. I don't know you. Okay. Bake cookies, a cake, that makes it easier. Right? <laughs> Take it to them. Apologize. Tell them that your pastor is making you do this, whatever you have to do. Uh, just, just meet your neighbors. 
If you're going to be a good neighbor, you have to know your neighbors. So A, write down at least an, someone's name in the house, and bonus points if you, know, if you know more, and really bonus points if you know last names, right? So number B, or letter B, uh, this is any relevant information about the people in the house, right? This is what you would know because you've interacted with them one or two times, three times. Maybe you know where they work, maybe you know where they come from. This isn't anything really deep, but this is more than a wave and if you even know a name. Look, it's like going from hey bro to hey Bob, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you know how that is. If you don't know a person's name, you're like, hey man, right? So we're, we want to move. We want to move from hey bro to hey Bob, and then we want to be able to have a conversation with Bob and say, man, Bob, I, what do you do? do you, tell me about what you like to do. Do you play golf? Do you fish? Do you, what, what is it that you do? Those are really basic non-threatening questions, right? So that's, that's B. I'm trying to make this very, very simple for us. C is much more in-depth. This is the John. This is, do you, do you know if someone's going through something who lives around you? If they're going through a divorce, if someone's sick, if they've lost a job, if they're taking care of someone. I read a story this week of a man who uh, was tired of his neighbor's garage hanging off the hinges and not cutting their grass and had two dead cars parked in the front. And so he, he contacted the city and, and code enforcement, and so code enforcement ticketed this, this house. Uh, not long after that, he was talking to another neighbor, and uh, that neighbor was like, hey, do you know about those people? And he said, no. And he said, well, the lady is a single mom. She lives by herself, and her mom has cancer. And so her, she's quit her job and has been taking care of her mom 24 hours a day, seven days a week for months. Now, that wouldn't happen if this guy would have known his neighbor, right? right? And so this guy, I'm sure full of guilt and regret, put a group together and served this woman and fixed everything. But, but that wouldn't have happened if he would have known her name and would have known a little bit about her and then could go in depth. And so this is going to take time. Look, don't, don't offer cookies and then try and go really, really deep. That might be weird, Okay. <laughs> But, but start somewhere. And so maybe you're at A, maybe you've done B, maybe you want to go to C. But why not? If we're going to create this neighboring movement, if we're going to be good neighbors, we, we have to know who our neighbors are. So this may not be the deepest teaching you've ever heard. Uh, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about that. I, I'm not concerned with being a deep teacher right now. I'm not concerned with you knowing something new today. Uh, I heard of a pastor who preached the same sermon week after week after week after week, and finally the church said, well, why do you keep preaching the same sermon? And he said, I'll preach a new sermon when we start doing that one. Right? Now, I, I think this is what Jesus was saying. Look, let's, let's understand the most important things. Everything else we could talk about here on out, the first commandment, love God, and the second commandment that's like it is to love your neighbor. I mean, what if? What if we did this and we got to a point where our neighbors grieved and mourned if you left? If they saw a for sale sign go in your yard, that the neighbors would come and say, please don't go. Please don't go. Our neighborhood is better because you're here. Well, I think we can get to that place. I think every one of us can get to that place, but we have to take responsibility for it ourselves. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for today. Thanks for the love that you have for us.